I've heard people always talking about those who are negative and those who are positive and positive people and negative people. And of course, uh, there's a, a whole multi-billion dollar business has been made out of all this stuff. And when those of us who have come to Christ and surrendered our life to Him, that the question is not and is no longer what I can do, what I can't do, what my assets and liabilities, and how can I have affirmation to get myself out of bed in the morning, and whose guru I am following, and how I can get myself picked up and become a positive person. But what can Christ do in me? What can Christ do through me? What can Christ do through what He has placed in my hand? Now, I was thinking about the positive people, and I thought of this kid who brought home a dismal report card, and he handed it to his dad, and his dad literally, as he was watching his dad's jaw dropping as he was looking at that report card, and he said, Dad, here's one thing you can rejoice over. With a report card like this, I couldn't possibly have cheated. Someone wrote, he said, a negative person is the one who feels badly when he feels good for fear that he'll feel worse when he feels better. (laughs) Figure this one out. But again, let me come back to the point, which is that when you come to Christ, it's no longer the question, how do I feel? What do I think? Or how do I view my strengths and weaknesses? Or what really is possible for me? What is not possible? What can I do? What can I not do? But what can Christ do with what? I have. What can He do in me? What He can do through me? Today I want to show you, through that little boy, placing all that he has in the hand of Jesus, he blessed thousands and thousands and thousands of people. So turn with me, please, if you haven't already. John chapter 6. This is one miracle, actually, that is repeated in all of the four Gospels with slight variation. But the most amazing part of this miracle, it really is not the supernatural power of Jesus, because if you don't believe in the supernatural power of Jesus, then you are up the creek without a paddle. It is not even about testing of the disciples, although I'm going to come to that in a minute. There really is a story about a young Jewish boy who trusted Jesus with all that he had, and Jesus did the rest. It is his willingness to trust Jesus with what he had. It is his confidence in Jesus that he can do far more exceedingly abundantly of what he could think or imagine. It is his simple moving out of his focus, even his own desperate need for food, to what Jesus can do with small things. He entrusted Jesus to take the very little that he has, which is all that he has, and multiply it to much. The four friends in the last message persevered in faith. This boy moved out in faith, moved out in trust of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why Jesus often speaks about the faith of a child. Why? Because when we get into the adult world with all of our cynicism, with all of our skepticism, with all of our negativism, it becomes difficult for us to trust in the promises of the Lord. But I want you to hear me right. Parents, grandparents, just listen to me for just for a bit. If you train your child to have confidence in God and His promises, they will grow up to be men and women of immovable faith. 
If you model for your kids the absolute confidence in the promises of God in the dark times and in the tough times that you're clinging on Him, believing Him, trusting all of His promises, they will grow up to be faith-filled men and women. And the crowd followed Jesus, and they would not leave Him alone. When it got later in the day, Jesus' compassion for them grew deeper and deeper. In fact, the word compassion here doesn't mean just the honor. He felt sorry for them and, you know, just, but was a little concerned. And, you know, what? I, mean, I don't want them to go out and, and really, you know, be hungry and faint along the way. And I've got to do something. No, 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 no. The word here, I wish I could express it to you. There was a visceral, physical, emotional feelings that the Lord was feeling. He felt pain. He felt anguish for the suffering of others. Jesus wept over Lazarus' tomb. He wept over Jerusalem when they would not respond and and recognize their desperate need. And again and again, He showed His mercy both to those who believed and those who did not believe. He even prayed for those who nailed Him to the cross. Listen, you have to understand that Jesus' miracles was more than just displaying His power. You see, all of Jesus' miracles welled up from a merciful heart, from a compassionate heart. And that is why we saw in the last message that He was profoundly concerned for the healing of the soul before the healing of the body, because Jesus knew that a healed body will eventually die, but a healed soul will never, never, never die. So Jesus begins by using this opportunity as a midterm exam for his disciples. One of them got a solid F. The other one got a solid D+. Look at verse 6. Philip. Let me tell you a few things about Philip as I understand them from the Scriptures. Philip appeared to be a man of deep perceptions. He obviously was the quiet type. He was the analyzing type. He was the reflective type. He was an accountant. And listen, I thank God for accountants. I mean, they keep us honest and they keep us out of jail. (laughs) And I thank God for them all the time. Philip obviously was a number cruncher. Man, his first reaction when Jesus said, what are we going to do? He whipped up his Capernaum Sony calculator and bing, 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 bing. I mean, man, he got that thing worked out. He said, Jesus, for all these people to have a little bit of bread, we'll have to have one person's salary for eight months. Eight months' wage. I mean, man, this guy is a great mathematician. I mean, he's incredible. Just for a small piece of bread. He looks at the impossibility, and he falls in deep despair. There's no way out. There's no solution to this problem. It is an impossibility, Lord. Beloved, let's be honest with each other. How many times have we been there? We see nothing but despair. Right now, I have probably seen and heard more people who are despairing with our country, despairing with our economy, despairing with our policies, and despairing with our leaders than I've heard in the last 40 years. Now, here's the problem. 
Here's the problem. I have not seen too many. I've seen some, but I haven't seen too many of God's children saying, let's call upon God, who is the God of the impossible. Let's call upon God, our God, who is the God of power and might. Let's call upon our God, who can make a way when there seems to be no way. Let God's people do that, and let's see what's going to happen in this country. I must confess that there are times when I find myself, just for a short period of time, in, in some despair. Despair over the fact that how the Christian church is departing from the truth of the Word of God, how Christians are, are not moving out into the world in obedience to the command of God, despair of how Christians are not sharing the message of life in a dying world, despair over how Christians either given up or gave in and, and ceased to be salt and light. But thank God, I don't stay there for too long. As often the Lord does something, to shake me up immediately and get me out of my despair. Because God, in His grace and in His mercy, He doesn't let me stay down for very long. And the other day, I got a letter from a third grader, a daughter of one of our vestry members, who led her friend to Christ in the back seat of the car as the parents were driving. Now you talk about encouragement, <laughs> about being lifted up, made my day, my week, my month, my year. Not long ago, I got a letter from Little Rock, Arkansas, from a lady with a check, and she said, I'm sending you this letter and this gift to be used specifically for Muslim evangelism. You say, what's big about that? A lot of people do that. Listen to the rest of the story if I can get through it. Then she went to tell the story. She said, you may have heard in the news what happened in June of 2009. My son Andy is an army recruiter. He's been recruiting for the army. And one day he was standing in Little Rock, Arkansas's recruiting office, and a Muslim terrorist came and shot him and killed him. Her beloved son died at the hand of a Muslim terrorist in Little Rock, Arkansas, and this woman wanted to give a gift to evangelize Muslims. And I, I called her literally with tears in my eyes to thank her. And she said, why are you surprised? Wouldn't Jesus have done the same? Oh, my. Oh, my. You talk about a shot in the arm for me. You talk about encouragement. You talk about somebody moving out of their comfort zone. Oh, my. Listen to me. This is a faith that honors Jesus, and it's a faith that Jesus honors. And if the Lord is saying anything to us as a body, if He's saying anything to us at all, He's saying, start where you are. And while Philip gets a solid F in this midterm exam, I thought about this, and I thought about it long and hard. I probably would not have fared better myself. And you say, why? Because Every time we calculate without faith, every time we depend solely on the visible evidence, every time we reach for the bottom line, every time we forget the supernatural power that is given to us and is available to us, every time we lean more toward arithmetic than adventure, every time we leave out the God factor, we get a solid F. Now, Andrew 
gets a slightly better grade. He gets a D plus. Andrew obviously was a thrifty fellow, and that is why he is a patron saint of Scotland. <laughs> Did you know that? <laughs> In fact, he demonstrated thrifty Scottish aversion to spending money. <laughs> he actually spoke to the Lord with a Scottish accent. Here's what he said. Lord, there is a wee laddie here <laughs> who has five loaves of bread and two wee fishes. Ah, <laughs> oh, but listen. To Andrew, at least, they were small, but at least it's a start. <laughs> it's better than nothing. Andrew is what you would call a cautious optimist. <laughs> he protects himself. You know the kind. Hedge your bets. I mean, you know, for, because if things go south, he can say, man, I told you so. <laughs> we got this little boy. He's got some bread and a couple of fishes. But what's in relationship to all this desperate need? They are nothing really in comparison. It's just they pale in approximation. But he thought, at least he thought, possibly Jesus can do something with them. <laughs> possibly that Jesus can work a miracle with those little things. And that is why Andrew was right. You see, Jesus can work with the little thing you can offer him. But remember this, because somebody says, I'm sitting on a pile here, and I'm going to give Jesus the crumbs and let him work with that. No, 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 you have to remember that boy gave everything. It was little, but it was everything. Our willingness to sacrifice. See, that's the thing. See, Jesus doesn't want what He already gave you, of your time, your talent, and your treasure. He gave you all that. He doesn't want it. He doesn't need it. He wants you to be willing to give it up to Him so that He may multiply it and bless thousands with it. I think it was F.B. Meyer who once said to the effect, he said, the sooner we understand that is not for us to ignite the flame. It is not for us to supply the oil, and it's not for us to trim the wick. Our job is to ensure that nothing we do that will put out the flame. And so, beloved, the question is this. Do you see yourself as a manufacturer, or do you see yourself as a distributor? The reason so many Christians sit in their comfort zone and don't come out and take risk in faith is because they think they are manufacturers when all that God is asking you to do is to be a distributor. He's the manufacturer. Now I was thinking about this. I thought, I'm glad this boy did not go to Judas with his lunch because Judas would have eaten his lunch. <laughs> At least going to Andrew was a smart thing. Andrew may get a solid D-plus for mustard seed faith. But when it comes to the lad, he gets an A. He gets an A. What the boy had was, didn't look to be much, but it was everything he had. These loaves were like just slightly bigger than a, a silver dollar pancakes. They really are. They're small pieces of bread. They're not a big loaf. And this fish, they're like sardines. They're very small. But God can take what you have, what you offer Him, 
and do big and great things with them. Can I get a witness on this? God used Moses' rod for miracles in Egypt. God used David's sling to slay the giant. God used a desperately poor widow to feed the prophet Elijah. God used a little Jewish slave girl in the mighty household of Naaman, the Syrian general, to heal him of leprosy. God used a donkey to speak to Balaam. And here he uses a little boy's lunch that he offered him to feed thousands upon thousands of people. I thought about this, and I thought the boy could really have kept his lunch to himself. I mean, after all, he is hungry. He needs it. I mean, who would blame him? He needed it. He at least thought ahead and brought lunch. (laughs) He was hungry, and he needed the food. He could have woofed down that lunch so fast before that discussion was taking place, it would come to an end. He could have sold it to them because, after all, this is a supply and demand situation, right? (laughs) You say, how much would you pay me for this? He could have hidden it and nobody would know about it. But instead, he chose to offer it to Jesus. What are you doing with the talents, treasure, and the time? that He's given you. He willingly surrendered all that He had. He probably was the kind of kid who heard people talk about Jesus. He probably heard about Jesus by reputation, that He's a miracle worker. He probably seen running around with the crowd, and he saw Jesus healing the sick and raising the dead, and he probably saw someone, and he totally trusted that he can do great things with his little lunch. And Jesus did. Thousands of people were fed until they couldn't look at food anymore. They were stuffed, and 12 baskets were left over. Please listen carefully. Whether you are 90 or 9 years old, particularly young people, I want you to listen carefully. God wants to use you. He's asking Every single one of us, you cannot look over to your side and say, well, he's talking to him, he's talking to her, he's not talking to me, I'm talking directly to you. The Holy Spirit's speaking to you. And he's saying, what do you have? What have I placed in your hand? Oh, Lord, I really don't have much. Uh, Lord, uh, I have very little. Lord, uh, the inflation is coming, Lord. I mean, I've got to store up some gold for my security, Lord. My security is in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Lord, I need to hoard as much as I can for my future and my family's future. Lord, I'm not eloquent, Lord. I can't speak. Lord, I'm bashful. I'm shy. I'm reserved. Lord, I'm not rich, and I'm not this, and I'm old, and I'm young, and I'm telling you, I heard all the excuses in the book. He wants you to offer to Him not what you don't have, but what you have what He placed in your hand, and watch how He can multiply that to His glory. But you know, there is really a lesson inside the lesson here, because God can do whatever He wants to do without us. In fact, I remember the story about William Carey, the founder of the modern missionary movement. He was only a a shoe repairman, but he had the burden in his heart to go to India. And he literally ignited the entire mission movement over 200 years ago. 
But when he went to the leaders of the church to tell them that God is calling him to the mission field, (laughs) the bishop of the church looked at him and said, Young man, if God wants to convert the heathen, he can do it without you. You talk about encouragement. (laughs) But God used that man to ignite the gospel message in India. God can do whatever he wants to do. He can do it without us. You see, he can perform all the miracles without you, without me. But somehow he chose to use us with our meager resources to magnify his glory. I believe with all my heart that God can receive greater glory in the tough times than in the easy street. I really do. And we're wasting that time. We shouldn't be wasting this time because that's where our faith is tested and proved. Why? Because God chose to reveal His plan of redemption through our witness. He wants to manifest His power through our weakness. He wants His abundance to be on display despite of our lack. He wants to use all of the small things that we may offer to Him for greater effectiveness than all the world's power. Little becomes much in the Master's hand. When the crowd was fed and they felt so good and said, man, we want this on a regular basis. So they wanted to make Jesus king by force. But isn't it amazing how human nature has never changed? We always vote for the politician who promises the most. Isn't that something? Jesus understood their superficiality. He understood their superficial motives and why they want to make him a king. And he wanted him to know more than that. He wanted him to understand that he's far greater than just a miracle worker, that he's far greater than just want to be an earthly king, that he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, that he is the bread of life without whom nobody is going to make it to heaven. That's what he said a few verses on. I was thinking about this, and I thought of a story a friend of mine told me years and years ago. And it's called the Camp of the Woods, and it's in upper New York State. He told me that when you walk into the door, the first thing you see in the hallway is a, a U.S. dollar in a frame, and next to it is a story. The story goes something like years ago, there was a missionary by the name of John Bechtel. He was working in Hong Kong. And he came home to raise sufficient funds to buy a building to turn it into an orphanage to minister to the Chinese kids in Hong Kong. But he only had one response of a dollar. That's all he got. One dollar from a little girl who said, I want to give my ice cream allowance to this project. What happened was the well-known ministry known as uh, Christian Children Fund. They have several buildings in Hong Kong, and they decided to sell one, get out of the orphanage business, and sell one of those properties to John Bachtel for $250,000. And so, with only one dollar in the balance, (laughs) he declined the offer. A year later, the same organization, when they heard the story of this little girl who gave up her dollar, her ice cream allowance, they decided to sell the property to John Bechtel for one dollar. 
with the promise that the property would be used solely for gospel salvation message to all who would come within the doors. And since then, thousands of Chinese have heard, little kids, have heard the gospel, accepted Christ in what is known today as Sundu Camp. Little girl gave up her ice cream allowance. You see, little is much in the master's hand, and God multiplied it. Thousands and thousands and thousands of souls. What do you have to offer to the God who gave you everything? so that Jesus' power can be manifested? Only you can answer that question. Father, among us, those who have never given their life to you, I pray that today will be the day when they offer themselves to you. Among us, those who have known you for years, and they went to church, and they went home week after week, They've never taken your commission seriously. Among us, those who are working hard, serving you with all of their being, only your searching eyes know every individual boy, girl, man, and woman. And Father, our joy comes from knowing that you know. But Father, let the cry of each of our hearts, here I am, send me. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.